Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. In case you use one of our pew Bibles, you will find that on page 1007. This is the third week of our Advent series as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. And this year in our series, we're looking at some of what God offers us through Christmas. And so far, we've seen that God offers us himself and that he offers us light in the darkness. And as I was thinking about what we would cover in this series, uh, something that has become a regular feature of our Advent series is just a reminder of what Christmas is really all about, and an opportunity for us to refocus our hearts and minds on that. And, you know, every year brings difficulties. We get older, we experience health uh, problems, we lose people that we love, our plans fall through, our finances may get tight, and and you can just go on and on and on. And, And it seems to me that the hardships of life become even more pronounced during the holiday season. Uh, it's like during the holidays, the, the pain in our lives gets magnified and we become all the more aware of it. And so for many people, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, it may be one of the worst times of the year for, for any number of reasons. Right, for one, every year that goes by, there are seats at the table that will be left open because the people who used to sit there aren't with us anymore. Or or perhaps your problem is that the table is going to be full, and it's going to be full of family members who are socially awkward and who don't get along together, and and you really dread the fact that they're all going to be stuck at your house for an indefinite period of time. Uh, Some people have had a hard time financially this year, and so perhaps they're not going to be able to afford the kind of celebration that they have had in the past. Uh, You may be experiencing chronic pain or sickness, or, or some people are just so overwhelmed with the craziness going on in our world, that it's difficult, it's hard for them to focus on anything else. And there are many other situations that we could mention as well. And if each of these things weren't enough by themselves to make the holidays difficult, the the expectation in our society that the the holidays are supposed to be awesome and that we're supposed to be full of of the Christmas spirit uh, makes it even more crushing when that is not our reality. And so you may slog through this time uh, because you've had a hard year or or perhaps you're you're frustrated that you're not as happy as you think you should be. Or perhaps you've stopped celebrating Christmas in any meaningful way altogether just to avoid the heartache. So despite what the commercials and the songs say, this, this may not be the most wonderful time of the year for you. It may be the worst. And the expectations that our culture places on us for everything to be ideal Uh, It makes it all the more miserable. And so what are we to do if we find ourselves in this predicament? Well, this morning, I hope that our focus will be reoriented as we see that through Christmas, God offers us hope. God offers us hope. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 11, 
And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who are of Jewish origin, hence the name Hebrews. And as was often the case in the first century, these believers have been experiencing intense persecution, and they seem to have been considering going back to Judaism. So on the one hand, they're feeling the pressure of their friends and their family and and neighbors turning on them. And on the other hand, they may have just become disillusioned. You know, I, I started to follow Jesus, and now my life is falling apart. This doesn't seem to be working very well. Maybe I should go back to Judaism. And so in this book, the author is is pleading, he's encouraging, and he's even warning these believers not to go back. He's telling them, do not abandon the gospel. There is nothing for you back there. And now here in chapter 11, which is perhaps the high point of the entire book, the, the author gives example after example of people from the past who lived their lives by faith in God's promises in the midst of hardship and difficulty, even when they didn't understand what what was happening and everything that was going on or why. So he begins in verse 1 by explaining that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith is having confidence that something is real or that something is true even when we can't perceive it at this present moment. And in verse 2, we see that it was by faith that the people of old received their commendation, meaning that it was because of their faith that people in the Old Testament were accepted by God and brought into a right relationship with Him. 
Right? From, from beginning to end, God's people have always been saved, not because they deserved it, or not because they earned it in any way, but because they trusted in the Lord. And then that faith is expressed through obedience. And so the, the pattern that we see throughout the Bible is that people do what they do, whether for better or for worse, because they either trust in the Lord or they do not. And this whole chapter is a record of how those people from the past demonstrated their assurance of things hoped for and their conviction of things they did not see. Now, for the sake of time, we, we can't spend time going over each one of these individually, but I, I do want to touch on these first few. Uh, obviously, as we've gone through the first part of Genesis over the last few months, we've already seen a number of these. So going all the way back to the beginning, verse 3 reminds us that it is by faith that we understand that the world, the universe, was created by the Word of God. Right? None of us was there in the beginning. None of us saw this happen. But we accept it by faith, based on the Word of God, that the, the world was created not by any pre-existing material, but by the, the Word of God. He spoke it into being. Then verse 4 says that it was by faith that Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God in contrast to his brother Cain. And so as we saw, Abel's offering re reflected it, expressed a heart of genuine faith and love for the Lord, while Cain's offering was convenient and it was unsacrificial, revealing a heart that was self-serving. And that was the difference between Abel being commended and Cain being rejected. Next, verse 5 reminds us of the, the brief account of Enoch, who, who walked with God in close fellowship, and then he was gone, because God took him up out of the earth into heaven without experiencing death. And the author tells us that before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and verse 6 explains that that comes down to faith. For Enoch, or for anybody for that matter, it is impossible to please God without faith. And that's because for someone to draw near to God, they first have to believe that he's really there and that he will reward those who seek him. And so if someone uh, does not believe that God is there, they will not draw near to him. You won't draw near if you don't really believe. And so Enoch is commended for his faith. Then in verse 7, we're reminded that it was by faith that Noah built an ark in order to save his family. Right, who does something like that? Well, someone who believes God. When God says, I'm about to flood the earth with water, and the only way that you're going to survive is if you construct an ark. All right, this has never rained like this before. Noah had no conception of what this meant, but God said it. And so even though Noah didn't have all the answers, he believed God, and he invested decades building this giant boat and, and gathering food. And his family survived because of his faith. Now, when we get to verse 8, we start getting spoiler alerts because we haven't gotten this far in Genesis yet. But we see that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and left his home. Right? God calls Abraham and says, start walking. Abraham says, that sounds great. Where am I going? And God says, don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you get there. And, and, and even though, again, Abraham has no idea of where he's going, even though it meant leaving his home and his community, and everything that he was familiar with up to this point in life, everything that was safe, he trusted God and he went. 
Now take note of verse 10, which says that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations, which is, is designed and built by God. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But in verse 11, it was by faith that Sarah was enabled to conceive Isaac, even though she and Abraham were both way beyond their childbearing years. God said that they would have a son. And even though it was physically impossible, she considered that him who promised was faithful, and she received her son as a result. And this same pattern carries out over and over through the entire chapter. Each person's summary begins with that phrase, by faith, and then it recalls what they did because they believed. But in verse 13, beginning in verse 13, the author is going to give us an extended side note about these people that's very important for us to consider. And so we'll pick up again beginning in verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so here in this section, the author explains that each of these people, and, and especially Abraham and his family, died in faith, not having received what God had promised them. Now, in a certain sense, the things promised can refer to physical things, like Abraham didn't live long enough to see his descendants uh, develop into a great nation. But within the context of the book of Hebrews, what, what the promise is referring to more specifically is the promise of salvation through the Messiah. Right, in the middle of verse 13, we see that they saw the promises from afar and greeted them, meaning that they believed and they looked forward to what God would ultimately do for them through the Messiah. Right, we, we've seen that from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God's people have been looking for, for that seed of the woman who will ultimately defeat the serpent and who will make all things right again. They're waiting for that. We saw that, that Lamech names his son Noah in hopes that he might be that one. All right, and then, then Abraham receives a promise from God that, that through one of his descendants, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. God's people had these promises and they knew that, that, that this is where things were heading. They just didn't know how long it was going to take to get there or what it was going to look like once it arrived. And so it, it, and it says in, in, uh, at the end of verse 13 that they, they did this having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Right? They realized that the, the world as it is now is not their true home. And it says that people who speak that way about themselves make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, obviously, this isn't referring to an earthly location because all of these people, as the author makes it clear, already had that. They had a homeland. Remember back in verse 10, that Abraham was looking for the city that has foundations. I think that the author wants us to understand that Abraham recognized that the foundations of this present world have been broken by sin and, and that uh, he was looking for a new city that would be built with God with a foundation that cannot be shaken, 
with a foundation that is secure. And even with the limited knowledge that he had at the time, Abraham believed that these steps of obedience he was taking to get to this land of promise was ultimately leading him to that heavenly city. And and so all of these people who, who trusted in the Lord in the Old Testament did so recognizing that things as they are right now are not the way they are meant to be. And they they are looking for God to fix it one day. And in verse 16, the author says that because of their faith, God is not ashamed to be their God and that he has prepared a city for them, which we now know is, is the new Jerusalem, which the Lord will establish to unite the new heavens and the new earth on the last day. And so as as chapter 11 continues, the author records several more stories of faith throughout the Old Testament. We're going to skip down for time's sake, and we're going to pick up uh, one last time, beginning in verse 32. So beginning in verse 32, the author writes, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so here in this final section, the author throws his hands up in the air and laments that there's simply not enough time or space to to write about all of the people in the Old Testament who acted in faith. So many people trusted God and did some incredible things as a result. And so if you look at verses 33 through 35, We see that some of them conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They stopped the mouths of lions, quenched fire, and put foreign armies to flight, and much more. And we love those stories. David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, the, the, the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. But there's another reality that is recorded here as well which is that the faith of God's people sometimes led them into tremendous suffering instead. We're we're reminded that the life of faith isn't always victorious in the short term. In the second half of verse 35 through verse 38, we read of God's people being mocked and flogged and imprisoned and stoned to death, sawn in two, killed with the sword, wandering around in deserts and mountains, inadequately clothed, having to live in caves because they would not abandon their commitment to the Lord. They acted in faith, and it did not go well for them in this life. So there's there's a a reminder here. So often we romanticize the past 
And we think about how awesome it would have been to, to have been with Moses or, or to be with the Apostle Paul. And, and, and so in one sense, that's, that's true. God did some incredible things through them that would have been awesome to see. But the reality is that all those things also came with a high price. And that cost, that price is something that you and I are generally glad we don't have to pay in our own lives. And so we're reminded that, that this world is not our home and that faithfulness to God while we are in enemy territory often involves suffering and hardship. Life hurts and our faith does not give us an exception to that. And yet, despite the challenges we face, we should not lose sight of the fact that we are incredibly privileged. As the author closes the chapter in verses 39 through 40, he reemphasizes that all these people who were commended by God for their faith still did not receive what was promised in their earthly lives. And the reason for that is that in his wisdom, God determined to wait until what we know is the first century AD to send Jesus in order to provide something better for us. I thought the early church and we today by extension have a privileged position. We have received the fulfillment of salvation through the coming of Jesus, what the, the old saints, the Old Testament saints longed for. We saw something similar in 1 Peter, where, where Peter reminded us that the prophets of the Old Testament, in writing about the coming Messiah, did that not for themselves, but for us, so that we would recognize him when he came. We, as the church, are blessed in a way that God's old covenant people were not, and that should empower us to persevere through the ups and downs of life even more than they did. Now, you may be wondering what the connection is between our passage this morning and Christmas. And so I want to make two observations from the text and then try to tie it up with a pretty bow like what you would put on a Christmas present. And so first of all, in our passage, we see that this life is a life of faith, not of substance. It's a life of expectation for what is to come, not of experiencing the fulfillment here and now. Now, on the one hand, as we just said, we are different from the saints of old because we have received and we know the fullness of God's salvation through Jesus, which is something that they didn't know. We look back on what they looked forward to, but we are similar to them in that the ultimate realization of this salvation is not here yet. We are still waiting for Jesus to come back and to make all things new. And until that time, this life is difficult. In fact, Peter, in his letter again, we saw recently, uses the same words we see in this passage, sojourners and exiles, to refer to us in his first letter. As Christians, this world is still not our home. And, and as we wait for Jesus to come back, we long for that heavenly country. As this pertains to Advent, you, you probably are already aware that the word Advent simply means arrival. And so the Advent season is all about celebrating the arrival of Jesus. But Advent also has two aspects to it. We spend the most of our, of our time, the majority of our time, celebrating the first Advent of Jesus when he came and was born uh, to live, die, and rise again in our place. But Advent is also a season where we look forward to his second coming and to everything that will happen when he returns. Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, but he is coming again one day to finish what he started, 
and to bring our salvation to completion. And so this this Advent season includes taking time to look forward in anticipation, just like the Old Testament saints did, to that day and, and everything that will happen with it. And then secondly, between now and then, this life is a life that is often characterized by suffering. We, we're fortunate uh, as, as American Christians that we do not face persecution as our spiritual forefathers did and as our brothers and sisters around the world often do. But until Jesus returns, the effects of sin are still very much present and active in this world. Again, we get sick We have relational conflict. We endure natural disasters. Everything that we mentioned back at the very beginning, and then some. And then ultimately, we all die. And so trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that this life becomes a bed of roses. In fact, as we read in the passage, sometimes following Jesus makes life more difficult, not easier. And so this life is is characterized by faith and expectation of what is to come, and we experience suffering in the process of waiting for it. Now, perhaps still you're wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, for one thing, these realities mean that it is pointless for us to expect our Christmas holidays to be perfect in any way. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, the foundations of this world have been broken, and, and they're not getting better on their own. And so because of that, any kind of idealistic expectations of, of holly and jolly and everything being merry and bright is a false hope. Now, a lot of people buy into that false hope because that false hope makes a lot of money. There's why so many of the songs and commercials attempt to portray an image of holiday perfection. But no matter how hard you try, your experience will never live up to idealistic expectations. But the point of this passage is that through the birth of Jesus at Christmas, God offers us a better hope than simply having happy holidays or or a holly jolly Christmas. I mean, if we stop to think about it, we celebrate Christmas because not everything in this world is as it should be. That's the whole point, right? So it's completely backwards for us to try to make everything right, make everything perfect, iron out every wrinkle, cover up every pain, because that's the whole point of why Jesus came. Things are not as they should be in this world. The true meaning of Christmas is that because Jesus came, the best is yet to come. We we are looking forward to a time where Jesus comes back and brings us into the new heavenly city that will be perfect where there is no more sickness, where there is no more loss, where there are no more natural disasters or relational conflict. It will be the most wonderful time of the year all the time for all eternity, and that is why we celebrate at Christmas. And so if your holidays aren't shaping up to be the most wonderful time of the year for one reason or another, then I hope you will be encouraged this morning. The true meaning of Christmas isn't about being holly and jolly right now. It is the hope that through Jesus, God is preparing a place of perfection for us. And to use the wording of our text, we could say that that by faith, we celebrate Christmas, believing that Jesus will eventually finish what he started and make all things new. And so while your holiday celebrations this year might not be holly and jolly, I want us to see that they can still be incredibly 
meaningful. In fact, I think we could say that the more we feel the weight of this life's sorrows pressing down on us during this season, that the deeper our joy should be. Christmas may not be wonderful, but it can be incredibly and deeply worshipful as the joy and the peace that Jesus was born to bring us cannot be touched by the ups and downs of this life. Of course, as we've seen throughout this passage, the operative phrase in this whole conversation is by faith. This is all by faith. Faith, our trust in who God is and in what he has done is what connects us to his promises and applies them to us. And so at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus coming to earth to give us something indescribably better than what this life and this world can offer, even at its best. And it is by faith, trusting in what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, that we are made right with God and that we receive the promise of what he is going to do with this gift of hope. And so this morning, my prayer is that that we will lift our eyes and our focus off of the, the empty expectations and the false promises of this world, and that we will rejoice in anticipation of the world to come because Jesus was born. I pray that this Christmas will be more meaningful and more worshipful for you than any before, because through Christmas, God offers us hope. Let's pray. Father, all of us would have to admit and confess that we too easily get caught up in the commercialized, uh, nostalgic elements of, of the things that our culture tries to infuse into Christmas, where we get distracted and, and at times we even become burdened because the reality of our lives don't match up to the, the expectations that are supposed to be there. And so, Father, as we've read your word this morning about the Old Testament saints who, who related to you by faith, who trusted in your word, and who looked forward to what you would do, I pray that we would take that same mindset and that same heart posture as we go through the rest of this Advent season Father, Christmas is not about things being perfect right now. It is the exact opposite. And so, Father, wherever we are this Christmas, whatever we are struggling through, whatever hurts in our lives, I pray that we would place our hope in you and in what you have promised to do, the promises and the hope that you give us through Christmas. And so, Father, we pray as we respond now that you would lead us to respond in line with your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.